0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the fourth chapter of St. Luke with an emphasis on these words. All the people were amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they come out. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Amen. Friends, the world today has a problem with authority. I could stand here before you this morning and pontificate until I'm blue in the face about why this might be, but I would only be wasting your time. The fact of the matter is that in this age of instantaneous digital information, everyone and their mothers consider themselves to be an expert handyman, doctor, Criminologist and, yes, theologian, post a research article on Facebook citing facts and studies, and someone else could just as easily post their own article with research that sounds just as convincing, but arrives at an entirely different conclusion. Moreover, we see all around us that those who are in authority argue and bicker and disagree over how best to serve and how best to lead. Everyone has their own innovative theories and ideas about how to bring us out of this age of division, how to bring us out of this pandemic, out of climate change, out of recession. Oh, and did I mention that those who have other ideas and opinions, they're the enemy. Don't listen to them certainly don't engage with them. Friends, you know, as odd as this sounds, this problem actually reminds me a lot of when I was in high school and starting college, and at the time, I was working weekends in a local grocery store. As I was there, I did just about every job you could possibly imagine. I started as a bag boy, then a cashier, then I worked produce, deli, receiving, night stock, Near the end of my career, that I was even a shift manager. And as you can imagine, for every position that I worked, there was someone I had to report to. Someone with authority over me. This could at times be problematic. For instance, working the produce shift meant clocking in first at the manager's office. He would then tell me something like, well, today the the front displays need to be changed and rotated. This is the first thing that people see when they walk in the store, and so it has to stay fresh. Make sure that that gets done. That's at the top of your list. Well, okay, with this in mind, I then would report to the head of produce. But then he would let me know that yesterday's crew failed to rotate the displays and pull the items that were closest to expiration date to the front, And so now, he and I had to sweep through the entire department and make sure that everything was in the right order. This, he would tell me, needs to be our first priority. Now, if you've ever been in this situation or one like it, then you know what functional authority is. Two different individuals both have the power to give orders. And at certain points, those orders may overlap depending on the context, or worse, they may contradict one another. Of course, this can become then painfully unclear for those under their authority as to who it is that they ought to be listening to. In our gospel reading from Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus beginning his public ministry in Capernaum by teaching and healing and cleansing several individuals. As he does so, the scriptures record for us that they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed, what? Authority. Well, you may think, what's so unusual about that? Certainly, they've heard a lot of teachers in their lifetimes who had authority or who spoke authoritatively. Except when the Bible refers to Jesus' word possessing authority, there's a a nuance there that can be really easy to miss. Recall first off how the prophets and the judges and the kings of Israel's history all had authority over the people whom God appointed them over. We see this with Jeremiah, who, who though he was a youth, God gave the authority to speak to the nations on his behalf. God granted them power to speak to those whom he called them to serve. Their words, their power, their authority, it all belonged to God, but they became the mouthpiece for his authority. He gave them this power to use on his behalf. However, that's not quite what we see with Jesus. Though, yes, he was doing the will of the Father, his authority was his own, for he was and is true God. He was in an authority unto himself, and not in the armchair Google Facebook meme vlogger sense that you and I are so used to today. His words, we see, were performative, That is, when Jesus spoke, things happened. We saw this already two weeks ago when we examined the miracle at the wedding feast in Cana. Jesus gave a command, and then what happened? The water became wine. Today, we see him speak first to an unclean demon who possessed a local man in the synagogue. Now, with this image in mind, I want you to allow me just a moment to divert from the story and tell you a little interesting tidbit about the word that St. Luke employs, demon. Yes, it can mean demon in the way that you and I think of, the head-spinning, body-wrenching, pea-soup-spewing variety. But, interestingly enough, the Greek word for demon, daimon, is where we get our English word for dominion. Simply meaning one who has sovereignty, or in this case, control. To be sure, the world has many such authorities, all vying for dominion, for control, in a lost and fallen world that so often just fails to recognize the authority of the Lord God who created it. More on that in just a bit. First, as Jesus encounters this particular demon, it cries out against him in a kind of unusual way. It says, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Well, you bet. But I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is kind of interesting, isn't it? Especially given the text which came just before, the text that we heard Pastor Edwards preach diligently on last week, when the people of Nazareth, they failed to recognize who Jesus was, and as a result, they not only rejected him, but tried to kill him. And now here, later in the same chapter, we get this bold confession from a demon? Well, yes and no. You see, this wasn't exactly a statement of faith. The demon knew who Jesus was, but he was under the impression that Jesus was infringing now upon his turf. It's as though he were asking, what exactly is the Holy One of God doing wearing this flesh of man and striding about in the devil's playground? as though he owns the place. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Mind your own business, stick to your domain, and leave me to devour this rabble. But friends, Jesus would be having none of that. For with a single imperious command, he bids the demon be silent and come out of him. And then when the demon had thrown the man down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. With this act, Jesus showed that he didn't just have any old authority, but that he, as true God, had functional authority even over the demons, those who were not of his department, as it were. Because when you think about what the demon was actually saying, in a strange way, it It was true, wasn't it? Jesus' place was in heaven with angels and archangels sitting in the light of endless day in the glory of God the Father. But this place, this place that you and I occupy, this is a place of death. This is a place where demons of all kinds bid sinful man do their bidding And lead them astray from their Lord and God. And yet, the Bible shows us that even over such forces as these, the Word of God made flesh has the authority to command, to punish, to rebuke, and to drive out. This Jesus, it would seem, in the eyes of the people was shaping up to be more than just any old prophet. For all of the onlookers were amazed, and they said to one another, What is this Word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Now from here, we see Jesus continue to exercise his authority, not just over the demons and princes of this world, but also over its meaner things as well. For in the same chapter, he goes on to remove fever and sickness and disability These things all have no authority in the face of him who created the heavens and the earth. For he came before them. For his command, it supersedes them. So much so that even those demons that he drove out later in our gospel reading were forced to cry out in terrified stupor, You are the Son of God. We have no power here. But Jesus rebuked them. He would not allow them to speak because he knew that, because they knew that he was the Christ, and the time for this knowledge was not just yet. For you see, there was a higher purpose to the Christ's coming than mere temporal healing. There was a greater enemy than this just rabble of demons that he must conquer. No ordinary demon or devil this, but the enemy that Christ came to vanquish was death itself. The oldest and most foul traitor to humanity whose authority you and I must acknowledge. For as they say, there are only two things in this world that are unavoidable, taxes and death. For this authority has gone unchallenged throughout our long and tragic history. This enemy, This enemy sought its sights on Christ Jesus as he moved from Capernaum to the Decapolis, from Samaria to Judea, and finally into the heart of Jerusalem. All the while, death whispered thoughts of murder into the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees who would have Jesus arrested, and who would then hand him over to Pontius Pilate to be crucified. Here, death must have thought that it and not the Christ should be the one functional authority over this blighted world. But again, Jesus would not have it. For on the third day, the scriptures tell us that he rose again from the dead, that he demonstrated in the most complete sense possible that he himself is the sole sovereign over all life, and yes, even over death itself. For with his command and his alone, he can undo the power of death. His authority, then, cannot be questioned. And with that authority, what does the Christ do? He conquers the grave not just for himself, but for you and for me, and for all who call upon his name in faith. His voice of command pronounces you Forgiven of your trespasses. His authority speaks to bequeath you with his name. It makes you an heir to his kingdom, declares you no longer dead in your trespasses, but alive by virtue of his grace and mercy. And friends, I tell you, there is no authority, no prince, no demon which can say otherwise. And so I invite you to consider this morning, dear brothers and sisters, what authorities do you submit to in this body and life? Certainly, as we pointed out, there are many. There are all kinds. Take your pick. Teachers and doctors, lawyers, law enforcement, governors, and many voices from that little black box that lives in your living rooms or perhaps in your pockets, all of them clamoring for your attention. But I tell you today, their authority is finite. Their wisdom, as St. Paul points out, will pass away. And none of them have the power to save you from your sins. Princes and demons of all kinds are going to whisper their own sweet-sounding truths to you to try to subvert the authority of God's eternal word. They say things like, Do you really have to keep the marriage bed only for your spouse? Does life truly include the unborn, the infirmed, the aged, and the dying? Must you really give up your convenience to serve and protect your neighbor? Will it really hurt anyone to post this gossip or rumor or misinformation? Friends, hear how they try to supplant God's word of life With words of their own making, hear how they forget that it is God himself who first gave them their seats of authority. Your Lord has placed them in position to serve and obey him. And so for your part, do as he commands. Give to them your honor and respect, but don't forget to hold them accountable to the one who gave them their power in the first place. Where necessary, correct them, encourage them, and invite them to serve faithfully in their office, which God has called them to. But above all, I urge you, let Christ crucified, the Holy One of God, be that authority by which you measure all this world's princes. For He is their authority. He is their Creator and Redeemer as well. His word, not theirs, is that word by which you have been saved. His word is that word by which the good news of the kingdom of God was first preached to you. And so it is His word, which is the sole rule and norm for the life of the Christian. Therefore, abide by it and live according to it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. For in these ways you magnify the word of God, and you honor him who spoke it. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to the voice and command of him who loved you and who gave his life up for you. For in him, and in him alone, is your forgiveness, life, and salvation, even Jesus Christ your Lord. In his most mighty name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus, unto life everlasting, amen.